and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm Mark Unger, senior pastor here at Celebration Church. We love getting into the Bible on Wednesday nights. We take books of the Bible and we go through them one verse at a time, putting them all into context. We've spent quite a bit of time so far in the uh, New Testament. We're taking a bit of a break and jumping to the Old Testament for our next book. And uh, we're in the book of Genesis. We started last week on it. Great fun. Um, we are going through it kind of verse by verse. There'll be sections where we will skip large sections uh, in the Old Testament. You don't want to read it verse by verse as a group. Genealogies and all that kind of stuff. So we won't do it all that way. But we will go and grab the major points. Um, interesting book, the book of Genesis. Uh, it's about the beginnings. How did we get to where we are today. And, you know, lots of debate about the book of Genesis. What exactly uh, does it mean? What do some of the verses mean? Uh, there's parts of uh, the book as we go along. We will hit verses of scripture that are like bizarre and strange. And what can that possibly mean? And theologians wrestle with these things. Um, I will share with you basically what I think it means and little insights of what others say it means. Uh, really, I don't try to be something I'm not. I'm not some great, brilliant theological uh, studier of the Bible. Uh, I'm a pastor. And uh, my goal in doing this studies, these studies with you is to share with you what I know, to put what I have, what God has given me, the stuff that I live my life based on, how I live by faith and stuff, to put that inside of you so that you can succeed in your life like God has helped me to succeed. Uh, there's lots of questionable things, particularly in the Old Testament, that are kind of bizarre and strange. We don't really know what it means, but by and large, who cares? It doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's like the debate over the six days of creation. Was it really a day and a night, 24-hour day period? Was it symbolic of millions of years? Who cares? It doesn't matter one way or the other. What does matter is we know that it was not random. It did not happen on its own. God made it happen. And when it came to mankind, God touched and formed man with his very hands and breathed into him the breath of life. And it makes us different than the animals. We are not evolved from a chicken or a frog or a monkey or anything else. We are made by the hand of God and it makes us different than all of creation. So anyway, uh, last week we uh, got as far as Genesis, the third chapter, and talked about the fall of man, how the serpent came, Satan inspired the serpent to come uh, deceive the woman, she took of the fruit, Adam was a dork, just went along with the deal, they both sinned against God, God came along, and what we left it off was at uh, verse 16, where God says to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, so he's talking about the punishment now as a result of the sin. Uh, immediate consequences. Of course, the main consequences is that they were they are now in a state of sin and fallen away from God. But the immediate consequences uh, to all of mankind, all of womankind in this case, uh, greatly increase uh, the pains in childbearing. Uh, with pain, you will give birth to children. And, uh, and we ended with this last week. Your desire will be for your husband, which is kind of funny, part of the curse. Uh, now there's some debate what that means. You know, your desire, what, what does that mean? That it, It's part of the curse that women want uh, men in their lives. I don't know. 
Who knows? What does it matter? All we know that what's really being said here is you got to read the whole sentence. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What we're really seeing now is that men uh, and women uh, were equal in every sense of the word. And then something happens as a punishment of this because the woman was deceived and led Adam, although he was being a dork, into this whole deal. Uh, she was severely punished. And part of the deal was now that men, uh, that women would be in a, in a subservient position under men. Obviously not a very popular uh, viewpoint today. Um, and, and let me say this about, about that. Um, one of the fabulous things about the Christian faith and coming to Christ is that in redemption, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. We're redeemed from sin. And in a lot of ways, and in, in a sense, this subservient role of men are here and, and he's going to rule over her type picture, really, I believe, in Christ was changed. Up until Jesus came. And, and you have to understand this. I mean, I know there's feminists and stuff that hate Christianity and they say it's terrible and it's an oppressive to women. Christianity? Please, reality check. Look at all the other religions of the world. You talk about oppressiveness. Holy stinking cow. It was really Christianity that lifted women up. Uh, up until Jesus, women were counted along with the sheep and the cattle. Literally. And in some cultures today, they're pretty much counted along with the sheep and the cattle. They have no position. They had no rights. They had nothing. Jesus comes, dies on the cross. Christianity is, is birthed and understanding redemption and life and how God through Christ has made uh, right what was made wrong in the fall. Now women are treated with great respect in the New Testament. Christianity lifted women up. Um, now, obviously, there's still in the Christian church and Christian teaching that uh, it's the man who's the spiritual authority in the home. Uh, that truth we still uh, adhere to. And uh, there are some feminists who have great problems with that. Uh, but it is what it is. You know, I'd, this is certainly not an oppressive thing. In that very context, it says that husbands should love their wives like Christ loved the church. He gave himself total sacrifice. This is not oppressive. This is not putting down. This is still life-giving. Even in that context of man being the spiritual head of the home, this was not oppressive to women. You say, well, the Bible says women should su submit. Well, the verse right before it says everyone should submit to everybody. So, I mean, just this whole idea that men should walk around, Christian men, and it's the Bible, and women, you just do what I tell you to do, is asinine, okay? That Bible does not teach that. Certainly not the New Testament and not in the, in the Christian tradition of Christ redeeming men and women and giving value and sense. Uh, but until Christ, up until Christ, really, this was, and sadly in a lot of parts of the world, this is pretty much the way it has been. Women have been very subservient, no rights, no position, no hope of any advancement. A lot of uh, other countries, other religions, they're forbidden even to be educated. Uh, it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Jesus, when Jesus came, he brought life. And change that kind of oppressive thing. But that whole positioning actually took place as a result of the sin that they entered into in the Garden of Eden. This is where we see this positioning happening right here. Then he says to Adam, because you listened to your wife, you idiot, and ate from the tree which I commanded you that you must not eat of it. And then he pronounces the curse on man. By the way, there's an interesting thought here. The Bible says that it was through Adam that sin entered the world. And it's the blood of the father that gets passed on to the children. It's, it's a great 
exercise in, in, in you know, theology to ask the question, what would have happened if Adam had not eaten of the tree and disobeyed God? He could have stopped it right then and there. And the curse of sin would not have been passed on to all of mankind. It would have stayed with Eve. Uh, the minute the man entered into this, and as the father and as his blood flows into his offspring, uh, the curse of sin then passed on. So uh, while Eve was the first one to get into this and then got her husband to do it, if he'd have stopped right then and there, uh, this whole travesty could have been averted. But it wasn't. And um, so here's the curse on Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Now he did have to uh, work the garden before that. It wasn't like he was uh, just on total vacation. But the difference was before um, the fall, his work would produce easily easy results. You do something and you get quick results and stuff like that. It wasn't this backbreaking, sweating and pouring and, and to have the ground fight you. Uh, uh, it was a whole different thing. But now it is because of sin. You work, you work, you work, you work. And at times it feels like, oh, why is this so hard? And I work so hard to make a living and we're investing in this. We're trying and sometimes things work, sometimes it doesn't. I still believe that we can walk in God's blessings. and uh, But still there is this curse on the earth because of what Adam did and things in the world don't want to cooperate as they should. You know what I'm talking about when you, you think, man, I did this, I did this, it should have worked. You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's the result of the curse in the earth. And uh, that's what happened. Uh, the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it, God reminds Adam, you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Uh, speaking of the fact that now you will die physically and, and will perish. Now, now here's a great question uh, to be asked and discussed at this point. Didn't God in all his wisdom know that this was going to happen? Uh, because people would say, you know, why, why, did, why did any of this happen? God should have known it. I personally believe absolutely. I think God knew exactly what was going to happen. Interestingly enough, God was perfectly not at fault in any of this. God didn't do this. I'm sure he knew what was going to happen. But uh, he set it up. He set it righteously. If you, if you will just live and enjoy everything, just don't do this one thing, uh, you will be blessed, but if you do this one thing, you'll die. Um, I'm sure he knew this would happen. Uh, again, I, as I mentioned last week, I believe that what we're experiencing on earth right now is the big halftime battle between God and Satan. God had thrown Satan to the earth. Uh, uh, he'd been uh, knocked down his rebellion. Then all of a sudden, God starts playing around and creates mankind. And all the stuff that we've been experiencing, I believe all to answer the question that Satan had posed, does God really care? And what God has demonstrated for the last 6,000 years of human history is that indeed he does care. And that if we will follow God's ways, we succeed. If we follow Satan's ways, we fall into death and destruction and famine and wars. Uh, the fact that God sent his only son to die on the cross for us demonstrated to all of eternity that indeed he does love us. Never, ever, ever again throughout the history of the universe will there ever be another rebellion like what took place this was a big deal one third of heaven rebelled against God because they bought into this lie that God didn't care never again will ever that question ever be 
opposed because uh, they will, all they got to do is look at what he did for us in this earth. He, people in eternity, if they ever doubt God's sincerity and care, they'll look at you. They'll look at me. They'll say, man, look, those guys are here. They shouldn't even be here. You know, wow, he obviously loves them and cares. Surely he cares. So this question is being forever eternally answered uh, in Jesus Christ, in the church, in you right now. You are a testimony, in a sense, to all of heaven of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. So, pretty wild stuff. So anyway, continuing on. uh, So Adam now names Eve. He had named the animals. Hadn't gotten around to naming Eve. Eve yet. By the way, a very common question is, how long did it take for this to happen? You know, were Adam and Eve on the earth for millions of years first before they fell? Um, You know, uh, did this happen right away? Uh, I I was listening to one guy said, hum, let's see. They got real cocky and thought God didn't know what he was doing and they thought they were smarter than God. I guess he was about 16. Okay, talking about teenagers. But um, I don't even think it took that long. To be honest with you, I think this was like bada bing, bada boom, the next few days. Literally, that's what I think. For two reasons. The first one is Adam just now got around to naming his wife. So he, he hadn't even, you know, I doubt that they, they would have been going for millions of years without, uh, hey, hey, you. Hey, hey, uh, you woman thing, you know. Um, it wasn't until now, after the fall. So my guess is this all happened like, Right away, about as quickly as we read it, is about how quickly this happened. My personal belief. That's one of the reasons. I'll show you the other one in just a second. Anyway, so he names his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Many theologians believe this is the first example of taking of animal life to create clothing and covering and that it was in sense the first animal sacrifice uh, that animals now are sacrificed to cover the sins of man um, which is certainly what it was in the Old Testament until Jesus came who was the Lamb of God the final sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world now there's no need for animal sacrifices but up until that time uh, there was this requirement of this blood being shed to cover this, this horrible transgression of sin a lot of us from a human perspective it's hard to look at so they ate some fruit. What's the big deal? But from God's... We don't really get how holy God is. And what, what a, a, a break from his nature to rebel against him. How, how offensive that is. You can imagine all the other sins we do of hate and anger and lust and stealing. and Oh my gosh, it's amazing God doesn't kill us all. Uh, but his love for us, he forgives us of our sins. And uh, an amazing thing. So anyway, so there's the first... Uh, indication God clothes Adam and Eve with with uh, with clothes from from animals because all they came up with on the sh- on the short there was uh, fig leaves that's the best they came up with anyway that's all it says here now and now the Lord God said speaking basically to himself this multiple concept of God one God but triune being Father Son Holy Spirit. Uh, Again, how do you explain that to the human mind? There's, there's examples of it in nature, you know, like water. You know, you've got water, and you have ice, and you have steam. They're all exactly the same thing. They're all just H2O, nothing else added. They're just in three different forms based on temperature. But still the one thing. So it's kind of nature's way of showing us the Trinity, but, you know, still in one's mind, how do you grasp that? It just is what it is, and 
you know, he's God and we're not. So anyway, God has this conversation with himself. He says, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forget forever. Who? Okay, now this is huge. Check this out. Remember, he made the garden and he made all these trees and all these plants and stuff. And he told him, look, you can eat of anything here. It's all yours. It's all yours. Just don't eat of this one. But it says that next to the tree, or, or also in the middle of the garden, was a tree of good and life, which they weren't supposed to, uh, good and evil, but also was the tree of life. And what clearly the implication here is, if Adam and Eve would have eaten of the tree of life first, okay, um, that he would have become an eternal being, like Satan. Uh, that's the thing with Satan. And, and, and here's why this is so significant. Because Satan in his sin cannot be redeemed. There is no redemption. Why wouldn't God try and redeem the angels? Look what he did for us. He went to the cross to redeem us. Why didn't he do this for the angels? Didn't he love them? Of course he loved them. But they were, in essence, unredeemable because they were sinned and, and fallen away from God and rebelled against God in an eternal state. It's eternal. You cannot change it. And when God saw Adam and Eve sin, the very next thing now, after dealing with that, he said, we got to get these guys out of here before they eat of the tree of life. Because once they eat of the tree of life, they now become eternal beings like the angels, okay? And in essence are now non-redeemable. Now, uh, a lot of us, you know, you sitting here right now, you know what it's like to experience death and tragedy in your life. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost parents, loved ones and stuff. Some in accidents and things. And, and it's always heartbreaking and, and heart-wrenching. And, uh, and you think, oh man, why do people die? Why do people have to die? Uh, here's something you need to know. The most loving thing God did at this moment was to kick us out of the garden and leave us mortal. Every time someone dies, even in a sad situation, it is actually a testament of the fact of how much God loves mankind. He could have let them eat of the tree of life and there would have been no more death. There would have been no, but they would have been locked in sin. Totally unredeemable. So God still would have had to deal with that and bring judgment on them like he's going to bring on the angels eventually uh, that have fallen, which by the way he hasn't. Satan is not in hell. He has nothing to do with hell at this point. They're just out there roaming around waiting for judgment day to come. They're not real excited about it, by the way. Um, it's the one thing that terrified them when Jesus came. Remember, the demons kept crying out, Are you here to send us to hell before the time? They knew a time was coming. And they thought Jesus was going to rush up the time. No, he just told them to shut up and he'd cast out the devil and stuff. So they all know it's coming. But that would have been our same fate. Every time a human being dies, as tragic as that is and how horrible as it is, this frustration of our mortality and our own mortalities as all of us right now are going to die someday. And I'm sure it's not going to be a great fun deal. Nobody looks forward to death. But it's not a question of if. It's just a matter of when and how. And as painful as that is, it was God's greatest act of love to leave us like this, to leave us mortal. And then God could enter the form of mortal man and die upon the cross and redeem us through the blood of Christ. Pretty wild stuff, huh?
So, he says, man, we got to get these guys out of here before they become eternal beings. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which the Lord had, uh, from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out of the garden, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, angels, with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Um, here's one of these bizarre questions. Uh, God puts in this cherub, these cherubim, these angels, to, to protect, guard the, the tree of life so they don't become eternal beings for the very reasons I just told you. But no place do we ever see where he removed that angel. You know, where is the Garden of Eden? Uh, some Bible scholars, because we know that based on what the Bible said, it was located somewhere uh, just off of the Persian Gulf on the border between Iraq and Iran, uh, the cradle of civilization, as they still call it today. That's where life for man began, was there. Is there somewhere still the Garden of Eden? It was literally there at one point. Many of the theologians believe that since the, the Persian Gulf has, has risen so much, uh, that is all covered and, and whatnot. Who knows? I have no idea. But uh, someplace there is a location where there was the Garden. And you say, man, would you ever want to actually go find the Garden if you had the chance? No way! Because unless something's changed, there's an angel that's ready to slice you in half. So, I mean, who knows? Pretty wild stuff. But anyway, he chases him out, puts an angel there. Nobody can get to this tree. And, and there we go. Now, chapter 4, verse 1. The second reason I believe that all of this happened extremely fast. First of all, because Adam just now got around to giving his wife a name. And secondly, and maybe more intensely... Adam just now finally gets around to having sex with Eve. I don't think that took millions of years. Quite frankly, I'm surprised it took a few days. But uh, it is what it is. It says, now Adam lay with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. So the implication is up to this point they hadn't even had physical relations yet. So I believe if you don't, who cares? It doesn't matter. Uh, but all of this happened extremely quickly. So he lays with Eve. Uh, she gets pregnant, gives birth to Cain. With, and, and she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Um, and now it talks about, you know, when they're older. It doesn't say how old they were. Um, I don't think it says or implies later how old they were. We do know something that these guys lived an incredibly long time. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, uh, the other interesting thing too here is that chances are Eve was having children on a fairly regular schedule here. <laughs> there is no birth control and nobody wanted birth control. Their job was to remember replenish the earth, fill the earth, dominate the earth. So uh, she could have been having at, at a minimum a child a year. Of course, they lived for hundreds of years. Um, they had sons. They also had daughters. Uh, people say, well, who did these guys marry eventually? Well, they had to marry essentially their sisters. I mean, it was just a different deal back then. Uh, and uh, of course, a lot of times there was years, sometimes hundreds of years between some of these guys even getting married. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, you know, a couple of young teenagers at home type thing. Uh, but anyway, so now we move forward and Abel is keeping the flocks. Cain is working the soil. 
Well, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So he brings these fruits of, of the uh, earth, uh, the grains and whatnot. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So the one brings grain, the other one brings sacrificed animals. Again, as we just intimated, it was this idea of animal sacrifices is what God uh, would get God's attention because of the cost of life and the bloodshed that uh, he would look forward and be reminded of the time when Christ would be coming. So it would cover them until the Lamb of God would eventually come. The implication here is that he was showing them, I want this animal sacrifice. I don't want just grain sacrifices. And uh, so anyway, the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So clearly, he knew there was something that God wanted him to do. And my implication, obviously, would be that it was uh, animal sacrifices and not grain sacrifices. Some say, well, maybe it was, wasn't that, that it was maybe because he had a bad attitude in the sacrifice. Who knows? We, we don't know. Either one of those would work, I, I'm sure. Bottom line is he wasn't doing right, and he knew he wasn't doing right. By the way, here's a fascinating... This is, the, this is one of the... Uh, it's really the second indication of how God was dealing with people. Uh, early on. And, and this is why this is significant, because oftentimes people will ask this question when you talk to them of the need of being born again and trusting in Christ's sacrifice and turning from their sins. People often say, well, why, you know, why do we got to do that? You know, why can't God just let everybody just do their own thing and as long as you do what's good and, you know, da, da, da. What we'll see through the book of Genesis here is God did exactly that in the beginning. He gave them all kinds of different ways. In the beginning, obviously, the simplest thing, Eat anything you want except for the one tree. He made it extremely simple. They blew that. Then he comes to Cain and Abel and says, look, if you just do what's right, it'll go good with you. If you don't. So people, people basically just live by their conscience at this point. That failed. We'll see a bit later that God, people say, well, why can't we just obey the laws? As long as we obey the laws, we'll be fine. They institute government laws. That failed. Everything that people say today, why can't we just do it this way? God actually let them try at some point. It failed. Everything that man did under his own strength failed. It wasn't until God came with uh, Moses and gave a very strict law of how to live, which was which the New Testament says was just to hold them in line until Christ came, that some of the anarchy and insanity stopped. This very strict law. But then Jesus came, and now we live by the law of grace. So uh, that's why that works, and all these other concepts and ideas do not work. But here's one of the concepts and ideas here, where God says, look, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. Right? But if you do not do what's right, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Talking about the power of sin in their life. Uh, this idea of, of uh, walking in victory over sin is a major tenet of the Christian faith. We are to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ through his power living through us. Sin no longer should have control over us. We, in a sense, master sin, not in our own strength. You try to do it in your own strength, you'll never make it. But through Christ, we don't have to be sinning and in rebellion against God all the time. We can walk in fellowship and communion with God. Okay? So anyway, that's what God says to Cain, trying to calm him down. Well, now Cain said to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out uh, to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. 
why he was so angry, so jealous that God would accept his offerings, but not mine. And it had to be, it can't be my fault. Remember what uh, Adam and Eve did? God comes to Adam, why did you sin? It's that woman you gave me. Woman, why did you sin? It was that snake that talked to me. I mean, it was all pointing fingers. God says to Cain, do what's right, but it wasn't, it can't be me, it can't be my fault. It's got to be him. It's got to be his fault. And he takes him out in the field and he kills him. The first murder in the history of mankind. Uh, and then we read in verse 9, the Lord said to Cable, to Cain, hey, where's your brother Abel? And he goes, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. But, I mean, it was already hard. He, God had already cursed the earth. It's hard enough to make a living. Now God intentionally puts a curse on him. He says, whenever you work the ground, nothing's going to work for you. So I don't know. He must have really struggled and was miserable for the rest of his life just eating whatever plants and, and fruits and stuff he could find because anything that he would try and grow would not grow. He couldn't succeed. Very miserable. He says, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So that is his punishment, okay? And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay, another theological thing to throw out to you as we go through this book. Uh, This one has to do with the idea of capital punishment. And the big question is, among people of faith, is where do Christians stand on the idea of capital punishment? And uh, there is not uniform uh, agreement here. Many Christians believe, as in the law of Moses... That if your life, if you take a life, your life will be taken. Others say, well, grace, uh, we don't live by the law of Moses, we live by grace. And even point out that with the very first murder, God did not kill Cain. He punished Cain. But there was no capital offense, even for the sake of the murder. Interestingly enough, when the law of Moses came in, then there was that law that was put in. Remember, God really got tight and really put in the strict standards uh, with the law of Moses. That is just an incredible law and, and strict beyond belief um, that created a nation that had enough righteousness in it that Christ could come as the, as, as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But uh, just an interesting argument here. Those of you who say, no, the Bible says, you know, the Bible says you kill somebody, you should be killed. Yeah, the uh, law of Moses said that it wasn't always that way. And is that how we as Christians should be viewing it? You say, Pastor, are you for or against it? I don't know. It's just one of those things. You know, as an American, as just a citizen, it makes sense to me. Capital punishment seems quite reasonable to me. Certainly there is the law of Moses as an example. But it's not rock solid, guys. There is evidence and certainly room for Christians to disagree over this issue. Because some could argue, no, grace, Jesus would not have done it. And indeed, God did not kill Cain. 
There you have it. Chew on that for a while. I don't, I don't have any more answers for you than that. Okay. Um, so uh, here we go. We're back. Verse 17. Cain now lay with his wife. Where'd she come from? Obviously, it had to be a sister at some point. What, how old it was at this point, we don't know. But uh, he lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. Uh, to Enoch was born Ered, and Ered was the father of Mahuel, and Mehuel was the father of Methuselah. <laughs> Good grief. Methusel. Methusel was the father of Lamech. Good grief. That's why we're not going to read them all. We'll never get through it all. But Anyway, Lamech married two women. So here's the first uh, polygamist that came along. Uh, there was no rule against it um, and uh, so this is the first one that comes along uh, Lamech married two women I hate to even mention this but I'm going to anyway just for the sake of theological the truth of the matter there's no place in the Bible that forbids it uh, what the Bible does say if you're going to be an elder in the church you should only have one wife the Bible also says to obey the laws of the land and certainly the laws of the land forbid more than one wife. Uh, but if we ever get into a theological tussle over that issue, that's going to be an interesting mess. Thank God we don't have to deal with that today. But uh, um, it, does, it just doesn't say that. Uh, certainly the implication throughout the New Testament because of that attitude of uh, uh, that elders should only have one wife, that this is the ideal, this is the example to the church. Therefore, by example, the church should only have one wife. That's why Christianity is always believed in just one wife. Literally, though, there is no prohibition against such things. So anyway, here's our first guy. Don't any of you go out looking for an extra wife. Okay. Uh, anyway, so then uh, Ada gave birth to Jabel. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. So he's the first guy there. Then his brother's name was Jubal. All the musicians should know Jubal because he was the father of all who play the harp and flute. He was the first m- musician. I was going to say magician, but that's a different deal. Um, then uh, Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. What, what it was basically, they're identifying the men who started doing specific things in life, uh, uh, trades and talents and stuff that they passed on to their sons and on to their sons and, and basically went back to, this is the first guy who actually started doing this kind of stuff. Um, here's kind of a bizarre thing here. Um, Lamech in verse 23 said to his wives Ada and Zillah listen to me wives of Lamech hear my words I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for injuring me and so he's freaking out because he he killed some guy apparently in self-defense but he's all freaked out by it and then he says basically look look if Cain was avenged seven times then then I'll be avenged 77 times you know I I should be protected because I only did this in self-defense so we basically have the second murder here, although it could be argued that it wasn't really a murder, it was self-defense. Interesting record of all these beginning things. Uh, Adam lay with his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel. Since Cain killed him, Seth also had a son, named him Enosh. From that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Kind of an interesting verse right there. It says, from that time on, right about that time, that's when people really began to pray in the earth. 
and getting this sense of calling out to God, sensing the separation from God. We were created to be in fellowship with God. And as these generations were coming along and it starts dawning on them, where, where's God? And they start to pray and start calling out on the name of the Lord. Okay? Now, chapter uh, 5. We are not going to read verse by verse because... I can't even pronounce the words, most of them. But here we start having the genealogy. Here's what's fascinating. Uh, and I don't know how many of you are aware of this. But the Bible literally tells you how old, how long, how many years it's been since Adam and Eve. And if you do the math, it's basically about 6,000 years. And right there it shows how old Adam was, how old when he had, uh, uh, you know, the next son and this son, how old long he was and how old he was when he had his sons and, and how long these people lived. You'll see they were very extended periods of time. And if you do the math, you can actually trace it all up to today. Uh, that all of this was basically about 6,000 years. You say, well, pastor, how can that be? What about this idea of the earth being millions of years old? Is that possible? Absolutely, it's possible. Remember what we talked about last week, the very first verse, words in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And then in verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. Well, we know God does not create things form, uh, without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep. Remember what we talked about last week. I believe what happened there, God creates the heaven and earth. There's this gigantic rebellion in the heavens. Satan falls to the earth, cataclysmic, destroys the environment on the earth. And then God comes and starts resetting everything again over those six days. That's what I believe was really going on. Uh, that's where you get dinosaurs from and all the other things. And, you know, it was like a different uh, time on the earth and different ecostructure and stuff. Is that possible? Based on my understanding of the Bible, absolutely. And for all we know, the earth was around for gazillions of years. That is all perfectly reasonable. I have no problem with that. Uh, what I do know was about 6,000 years ago, it all came to a screeching halt and everything came to a stop. The earth was covered in destruction. God rolls back the waters, turns on the lights, speaks to the earth to bring forth life again, forms man with his own hand, uh, and then it's been 6,000 years since that event has taken place. Anyway, in your own time, you can go ahead and read through all of this. Uh, The only one that is of uh, real interest that I want to point out to you is uh, verse 27, talking about Methuselah. He lived 900 years. And 69 years. That's a very long time. This is the longest record of any human being ever living. And what's real fascinating is if you do the math on this stuff with Methuselah and these guys, uh, it looks like they died in the flood, which is coming up that we're going to read about. Um, so who knows how long they would have, who, how long some of these guys would have lived. Uh, you know, how long would have Methuselah been around had it not been the flood? The, the implication, if you do the math, it's pretty easy to guess that, imply anyway, that there's a good chance that's when he died. Some of these guys, all of a sudden it all stopped right when the flood uh, kicks in, the flood of Noah. But anyway, they all had extremely long years on the earth. Now, people say, well, how is that possible? Well, again, uh, let me give you the explanation for it, at least my explanation, what I've learned from other Bible scholars and stuff, and what really happened. Who cares? It, how exactly why any of this happened or how it happened will have no bearing on you today. 
on how you live, whether or not you love your wife and your children, whether or not you pay your bills, whether or not you love God, whether or not you walk in victory, whether or not you're filled with fear or, or confidence. It has nothing to do with anything. It's just, it's recorded and we discuss these things and for an intellectual point of view, uh, we discuss them. But it doesn't matter if you think differently or hear of someone say something differently. Who cares? It just doesn't matter. Having said that, I will try to give you an intellectual uh, explanation for some of these things. Okay, I just talked about how it's very likely that for who knows how long there was a different life forms on the earth, obviously dinosaurs and whatnot, all that comes with screeching halt. It just stops. They know it all stopped, and the scientists have their different reasons of why they thought it stopped. And of course, they thought it was still gazillions of years ago. But we don't all comes to a stop. I believe it comes to a stop because of when Satan falls uh, from, from the heavens. Although, in theory, one, we don't know how long it was from when Satan fell to when God showed up and started giving back life. Maybe that was a million three five million years ago maybe the dinosaurs really did stop millions of years ago i mean it's all plausible uh we just know that all of a sudden god shows up god's an eternal being he's not in a big hurry and uh you know so we don't know so all we know is that structure stops well now he creates recreates the environment of life on earth and um this goes until the flood comes which is another cataclysmic atmospheric change, major change in the structure of life on earth. I heard one Bible scholar and and a a scientist, Christian scientist, give this explanation once. I think it's plausible, it's interesting, whether he's right, who knows. He says he believes that basically what was happening was that uh, during this period of time, that the earth is surrounded in a very strong almost bubble-like atmosphere, uh, strong uh, uh, strong enough that it actually reflected a lot of the harmful rays of the sun. Uh, remember, according to earlier in Genesis, the earth was watered by a mist or by streams. There's some implication that it wasn't even raining at that point. It was just kind of a different ecostructure type situation. What he believed, and many of them believe, is that when the flood came, the way that God flooded the earth, he basically collapsed that system. And all of a sudden, all this moisture and stuff collapses from this thing, floods the earth, then God has it all roll back again, and now we're in a different day. And all of a sudden, they start seeing rainbows and all, all these things. And shortly after that, People aren't living as long anymore. Uh, His theory, again, was that because of that heavy uh, atmosphere that was around the earth, there were two things. One, it reflected the harmful rays of the sun that create cancers and all the other sorts of things and aging. Uh, The other was that uh, they theorized that there was a greater pressure on the earth in terms of atmospheric pressure. And they have done uh, uh, studies where they actually have healing chambers where you can go in and you'll go into a chamber and they'll increase the the air pressure and the stronger the air pressure they've learned the faster people heal so there's actually things like that well their argument was well what if all of earth was like that where there was this much greater pressure that actually we know by uh, science today actually speeds up healing perhaps people healed very quickly then they didn't have the harmful rays of the sun maybe these are the reasons they all live so long who knows who cares okay but that's my little explanation of why all of that happens. Okay, so anyway, all of this goes on, and they're talking, uh, we get to Lamech, who, uh, 
was uh, the son of Methuselah or whatever. Uh, We see in verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. Again, look how long some of these guys, you know, I'm into early marriage around here, (laughs) way beyond 172 years before you find, 182 years before you have a son. Uh, Again, lots of men and women are being born during this time. That's where all the other people that came from, lots of years, sometimes decades of separation. It wasn't the creepy idea of brothers and sisters marrying that we would think of uh, today. Anyway, so Lamech has this son and he names him Noah. And that's where we see Noah. And we see in verse 32, after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Holy cow, talk about delaying marriage. But uh, again, a whole different time of life, whole different structures, whole different atmospheric conditions. It was a different time. And this is where we find Noah now at 500 years. This man is hundreds of years old before God ever comes to him and commands him to build an ark. Next Wednesday, we will pick it up here and we will talk about how uh, and why God brought the judgment he brought and why he did what he did with Noah. And, uh, And it's all fascinating, interesting stuff as we continue to study and learn about the book of Genesis. We'll see you again next week.